we have been, through this year, going through the subject of knowing God. And I, I, I hate the introduction part every time I, I come up to this and talking about the subject of knowing God, you know? And I, I, it's like this is a classroom setting, and, and I, I am a teacher. I feel like, you know, that gift is of teaching and such. And yet, I, it's not something that you can teach. Does that make sense? I mean, how do you teach about relationship? It's kind of like doing marital counseling. I mean, I, I get in, and I have people come in, and, and, I, can give, and I can give pointers, and I, can, and I can say how things should happen, but the reality is I can't develop a relationship between two people. You know, I can say, look, you guys, you really need to love your wife like Christ loved the church. I mean, what are you doing to sacrifice for her? And, and ladies, you really need to, 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 to get, gain the concept of submission and, and being able to set aside your will to, to do what your, your husband's will is. But I, I'm not going to be there, and I'm not going to be the one making the decision for him. I'm not the one with the emotions that are involved and everything like that. And so we are dealing with this ocean of a subject. You remember, this is how we started the whole thing, talking about God and knowing God like knowing the ocean and, and how many of us are like sitting back in Omaha, Nebraska and we know the ocean based upon what we've read about in encyclopedias or maybe even better, the internet, but you've never been there. You've never been to the ocean. You don't know what the ocean really looks like. You don't know what salt water feels like in your toes. That's the same thing with God. There are many people in our, our culture, many people in our world, many people in this city who know about God. For 23 years, I went to church every Sunday, and I knew about God, but I didn't know God. And Jesus said, this is life eternal. This is eternal life. This is the definition of everlasting life. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. That God desires a relationship with us, not a religion. And so we talked then about that, going into that, about the difference between theology and um, theognosis. Theology being the study of God, theognosis being the knowledge of God, and how we want to pursue the knowledge of God, not just the the study of God, not just having facts about God. God doesn't want us to to factually know him, oida, but he wants us to gnosko him, to intimately know him. And so as we've gone into this, we've looked at the existence and the exclusiveness of God, that God is and that he is the only God. We looked at what God, how God is made up, and that he is a triunity, that he is, he is three, and yet he is one. He is one, and yet he is three. And so we are not multi- um, or polytheistic. We're not tritheistic, meaning three gods. There's one God. But yet God has revealed himself in these three ways. And then we have begun looking at the attributes of God. We have considered his natural attributes, the fact that he is sovereign, the fact that he is limitless. We've looked at his vocational attributes, that he is... He's the creator, he's the judge, he's the savior. And we've begun looking at the moral attributes of God. And we took a couple weeks to look at the holiness of God. We've taken a couple weeks to look at the love of God. Today we want to look at the third part of these moral attributes. And understand, when we talk about moral attributes, we're talking about attributes, characteristics of something or someone, really, when we're talking about moral attributes, that define the way they act and the way they think. Okay? And as we go into this one, because we're going to be talking today about the faithfulness of God, or beginning to talk about the faithfulness of God, I incorporate into this moral attribute what many would incorporate into what they would refer to as one of his physical attributes, his natural attributes, and that is that they would refer to him as being immutable. That God doesn't have 
the, the ability to change. And so they make that a natural attribute, saying that God, not in his character, but in his being, is not able to change. And I, and I differ with people from that, that vantage point, where I believe that the fruit of the Spirit is a listing of character traits that we derive from God because we're made in the image and likeness of God that God gives to us when we are walking in closer fellowship with Him. And so is God love? Very clearly. And so we're told the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, right? Is God possessor of joy? I think yes. Love, joy, peace. The peace of God, the God of peace, we're told. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. And we're told by Peter, and we'll talk about this later on, but God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. That love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That those are moral attributes, those are moral characteristics of God. And so I place this one within that realm, and I believe that God changes not, because God is faithful. Does that make sense? Okay. That he is unchangeable in that way that we see that because of the fact that God is, what we're going to see in a moment, reliable and dependable. That he is trustworthy. He is faithful. And so in the Old Testament, we are giving, given terms about the, um, the faithfulness of God. And it's referred to as amuna, the amuna of God. The amen, amen and amen. We talk about that, right? Amen and amen. It means true, true, faithful, faithful, reliable, reliable, trustworthy, trustworthy. And emet. And all these words derived from the same meaning, something that is to be to believe or trust, or to be worthy of trust, or to be believable. So something that has these this character is something that you can say again, Steve. You can bank on it. You can sink, your, sink, sink the stake into it. It, it, it's, it. Take it to the bank. It's going to be there. It is, has great fidelity. It has great integrity. It has great trustworthiness. I mean, all the, there's, there's numerous words I can, I can bring out from the Old Testament that are synonymous here and that all kind of blend together. But these words come right down to it. In the New Testament, it's the word pistos, which we use for the word believe or faith at times. But it means, again, to be trustworthy. Trustworthy. And so when we bring that together and we put it down, it means to be dependable or reliable. And next week, as we look at our reflection of it, as we consider our faith, you're going to see that, that faith really is the confidence that we have in something that we deem to be dependable, reliable, trustworthy. That it's going to be there. In other words, so I have faith in the in the light switch, and I go and I flick that little piece of plastic, though I don't see the wires, though I don't comprehend how electrons are passing in real time, just that fast, I have faith that when I flick that little piece of plastic, that the lights in this room are going to come on. Does that make sense? So what do I really have? I have confidence in the trustworthiness of that gizmo to do what it's supposed to do. You all had faith, if you would, in the chair that you're sitting in this morning. How many of you came in 
and got down on your hands and knees to check out to make sure that chair wasn't fractured, that the, that the um, what do you call it, the, the, the seams, the, the, the weld, thank you, that the welds were all properly in place this morning. Not a one of you, you all came in and did what? Just figured out how far away or how close you might want to be to me. And, and, and then you what? Plopped. You, by faith, this is going to be in Hebrews chapter 11, you know. By faith, you plopped into that seat, believing that the chair would hold you. Do you understand? And you did that because you believed that that chair was worthy of your trust. That it would be dependable and reliable. Does that make sense? You tracking with me here? Okay. So, when we talk about the faithfulness of God... We're talking about, then, his dependability, his reliability, his trustworthiness. And so we're declaring that God is fully faithful, that God is fully trustworthy, that God is fully dependable, that God is fully reliable, that with God there is great integrity. And so we read in his word that there is no shadow of turning with him. Now, the expression of faithfulness is going to be twofold. First of all, it's in God's words. We see God's faithfulness expressed in his, in his words. And so, um, first of all, in his words and what he says, that what he says will be reliable. And we want to look at Numbers 23, verses 19 and 20. Some of the verses are going to be on the screen today, and there's a lot of them that we're going to be turning to today. We have a lot of verses. But in Numbers 23, Moses declares regarding um, God, regarding Yahweh, that God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man, that he should repent. He has spoken, and will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Behold, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot reverse it. This is Moses declaring what God had told him right, but this is literally Balaam declaring this at this moment. Balaam is talking to Balak. Does anybody remember who Balaam was? He was that prophet, and who was Balak? the king of Zippor, who wanted to kill the Israelites. Okay? He wanted to destroy the Israelites. Israel is coming up, and they're postured there by Moab. And so the king of Zippor, Balak, brings Balaam, and he says, I want you to curse them. And so Balaam, seven times, instead of cursing them, blesses them. And he, and he comes back and he says, listen, I told you. I told you before I ever left my house that I could only say what God told me to say. And so you want me to curse, but God's saying what? Bless. And so every time you send me back to God, what are you really saying? God, change your mind. And so Balaam, who we see later, really isn't even a believer. Okay, He is one whom God is using, knows this enough about God. That God is not a man that he should lie. He's not a son of man that he should change, repent. Repent doesn't mean I did something wrong and i got to be bad. Repent, in this light, this word means to turn. That God is not one who's gonna, who has done something in error, and so he needs to change his way. Do you get it? And so, again, we read then in 1 Samuel 15, 28 and 29, Samuel saying to Saul, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today 
and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent. He is not a man that he should relent. In other words, God has declared that he is taking the throne from you. And he's giving it to David. Now, he doesn't say David at that moment, but we understand that hindsight that it's going to be given to David. But Saul is coming to Samuel saying what? Don't. No, no. I, I, I'm sorry. It, it's not my fault. It's, it's this and this and this. And Samuel comes back and says what? Sorry. The declaration has already been made. And God is not a God who's going to lie. God doesn't lie. He always speaks the truth. Do you believe today that every word of Scripture is true? Or are you as most quote-unquote Christians today, I say quote-unquote, I don't know, who pick and choose what they want to believe as true from God's Word. It's true to me, so therefore it is true. And so as we discussed in Sunday School, the the article that was placed in the paper by the, the chaplain on post, who believes in the, the part that we're supposed to love our neighbors? Who believes that God loves the world? But when he, when he would quote, and I'm not saying he did, but this is my supposing, when he would quote John 3.16, that he would have to stop after the first couple verses, for God so loved the world. Because clearly in his article he believed in universal salvation, which means that it doesn't matter what you've done, but that everybody goes to heaven. The Bible doesn't teach that. Because it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And so that part, he wouldn't hold to. That you really have to believe that God actually has a requirement in his grace. And it's easy for us, I shared, to point the finger at someone like that But the question is, are there parts of the Bible that you diminish, that I diminish, that I don't hold as truth because they're not palatable to me? They're not what my flesh desires. But God is not a man that he should lie nor relent. His word is true. He is very dependable. He is very reliable. What he has spoken is true. Truth. Truth. We're told in Titus by Paul, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and acknowledgement of the truth, which accords with godliness in the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, but has in due time manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior, to Titus, a true son in our common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now we're told in that, that God is our Savior, that Jesus Christ is our Savior. That means that God and Jesus Christ are who? One and the same, right? And that we're told that God cannot what? Lie. In the Greek, it's the word asides. Asides. 
You've ever heard of the word pseudonym? Pseudonym was a pseudonym. It's a false name. It's a false name. It's a false. We say it's it's a it's a um, a pen name. A pen name. It's a it's a it's a, a name that you go by. It's an alias. What it really is is a it's a false name. It's not your true name. You're hiding your true name. That's why you have a pseudonym. And so God is ah in the Greek that ah letter a alpha when it's attached to a word means not. He is not pseudes. He is not false. God is not false. He is true. And it's interesting that Jesus, we're told, is um, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And the word for truth in the Greek is the word aletheia, aletheia, aletheia. And it, again, is a combination of two words, a and letheia. Letheia means to be deceptive. And so Jesus is not deceptive. God is not false, and he's not deceptive. How else do you describe what truth is? Think about it. What is truth? Truth is not having any falseness or deception at all contained in it. Now, when you speak the truth, is it really truth? When God speaks the truth, there is not a kernel, there is not a micron of deception that is contained into it. There is no falseness. There are no improper motives. So when God speaks, what he says is true. Now, in our culture today, we have great debates raging in the name of science. with evolution and various other um, things, but evolution tends to be the, the forefront. And the great debate really boils down to is what do you see, what do you believe is the foundation of truth? When a scientist, regardless of his, who he is, okay, takes pieces of information and then he interprets them. Is his interpretation truth? And so, I find a rock and I date it. And I, I use radiocarbon dating, I use uranium dating, I use many other forms of dating. And, and, I, and, I, and I date this rock and in dating this rock, I find some that date it to be a thousand years old, some that date it to be a million years old, some that date it 17 million years old. But I've determined where I found it that it should be within a certain strata that it's 17, year, 17 million years old, right? Although I've, I've gotten different dating out of all of it. And so therefore, I look at my data and I say, ah, 17 million years old, so therefore, this rock is what? 17 million years old. And now I write my paper in my article stating that this rock has been found to be what? 17 million years old. Now you read that piece, you read that article. Now you don't know all the background of my studies, right? And why I chose the dating that I chose. 
But you read the article, and I state now that this rock was found, and it was found to be 17 million years old. Now, reading the scriptures, reading the Bible, I understand that the earth is only 6,000 years old. 6,000 years old. If you've never done a chronology of the Bible, I challenge you to do it. It's math, it's fun, you can do it, okay? Just go through all those begats. God got those begats there for a reason. It's not to make reading through the Bible boring to you. It's so that we have facts. We have truth that we can rely upon. And you can go through a genealogy of the Bible. You can go through a chronology of the Bible. And yes, you can actually literally date the world. Now, I can have some fudge factor going on here because I, I, I'm sure that I might miss something here or there. But basically, the world is 6,000 years old. I'm rounding. So knowing that, I now have a decision to make. Is the rock that they found 6,000 or less years old? Or is it 17 million years old? And in making the decision, I'm really determining what? The reliability of God. The trustworthiness of God. Because God said in his word that this is how old the earth is. Do you get it? God said in his word that he created the earth in six 24-hour periods. Not over millions of years. God's word is true. He says he does not lie. He says he does not deceive. He says that he does not alter things that go out of his mouth. And we'll see that verse in a few minutes. But now I'm forced to make a decision to who do I believe is really true. Is man true in his interpretation of what he saw? Or is God, who was there from the beginning, true? Or doesn't God really understand science? Does God got a a problem dealing with physical laws that he's created? And it goes even further down to when Paul says that all Scripture is God-breathed that God spoke it into existence, is that really true? And we live in a day then of what we refer to as relative truth. But you and I must believe in that which is called absolute truth. And that there is an absolute truth that you can hang your hat on or you can go to the bank with. And the absolute truth is God and his word. And if you don't believe that, then you go back into what I harassed Phyllis about earlier with, this is what the Bible says, this is what I understand the Bible to say. That's relative truth. Now, I don't mean it that way. She didn't mean it that way. She said that. But that's why I kind of chuckled because I'm I'm focusing on that right, right now as I go through all this. But that's what the world does right now. This is what it means to me. It may mean that to you, but it means this to me. And now all of a sudden, that which was absolute has no absoluteness to it. Is the word of God, is God himself, true? God says he is, and that everything he speaks is true. Now, he's not just faithful in what he says, but he's faithful to 
what he says. Do you understand the difference in that? He's not just faithful in what he says, and what he says is true and accurate and reliable, but he is going to be dependable and reliable to do what he says he'll do. You can depend upon God. You can lean on him. You don't have to worry, like this is on wheels, right? So if I, if I really lean on this pulpit really hard, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to go flying because it's going to move. But if this thing was nailed into the floor and anchored in, I could do what? I could put all my weight upon it. We talked about that Wednesday night in the kids' thing, right? With trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your understanding, right? That because the table was there, I could lean on that table and I wasn't worried about it was going to fall, but if somebody kicked the table from out from underneath me, I was going to have a black and blue nose. But I can go to the bank with what God says because he will perform that which he has declared. In Lamentations 3, 22, 23, a verse that probably all of you know, we sing part of it. It says, Through the Lord's mercies we are not concerned, be consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are every, new every morning, new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O God. Why are His mercies new every morning? Because God is faithful to His Word. Because God is faithful to His his covenants that he makes, to the promises that he makes. And so he's speaking literally right now to the children of Israel. The, the, the writings of Lamentations are by Jeremiah, right? And, and he is crying out because of what's happening in, in Judah and Israel. What was going on at that point? Does anybody know what was going on during the times of Lamentations? The siege, and not just the siege, but Babylon was destroying it. That's right, okay? There was all this... This destruction going on in, in Judah, in Jerusalem. That's where, where um, Jeremiah was. And, and Jeremiah, in writing the lamentation of Jerusalem, and, and seeing the destruction of his home, and of the city of God, is crying out. Kind of wondering what was going on. But God had already declared it was going to happen. He had already declared judgment was coming because of what they had done. And again, he is not a man that he should lie. And so when he declared judgment was coming, it was coming. They wouldn't repent, so he had to bring judgment. It's like your kids, right? You say to your kids, you do that one more time, I'm going to have to what? I'm going to have to spank your butt. And so what do they do? They will find out if you really mean what you say. And when they touch it, they do it again, and you don't spank their butt, what did you just prove? You don't mean what you say. You're not a man or woman of truth. And so when you spank their butt, out of love, not out of anger, not out of selfishness, not out of all about me, but you spank them because you know it's something they need to learn, what did you show to them? You mean what you say. And the next time you say, don't touch that or I'll have to spank, what do they say? Oh, they're going to spank. <laughs> I better not, what? I better not touch it. And God says it, but we, we look at Israel and we go, bah, I can't believe those people. But how many times do we do the same thing? God says he's going to judge sin. I'm going to judge sin. And we say what? Ah, you're nothing but a grandpa sitting on an easy chair winking at me. You're not going to punish me. It's kind of like, don't want to say names, but that one down there with the little blinking of the eyes and the, you know, and 
the adorable, you know, little girl, and daddy, you're not going to do that to me. I can see you do treating the boys that way, but to me, the, the apple of your eye, who clearly I've got you wrapped all around my fingers, and then all of a sudden, the little swat comes, and the eyes get ten times as big, saying, <gasps> Me? And we laugh about that, because you, know, you, you picture that, especially grandpas, you know, you have the... And, uh, and, but we treat God that way. But God says, you know, I'm going to do it. Well, here, in the midst of this spanking, in the midst of the, the judgment, Jeremiah comes back and he says, but I know that you're going to be true to your covenant, that you made a promise to Israel, Israel will always be, be there, and I know that you're not going to utterly destroy us. Why? Because you're faithful. And therefore, because you're faithful, your mercies are new every morning. Do you know what mercy is? It's when we don't get what we deserve. Do you understand that Jerusalem, that Judah, and Israel deserved a whole lot more than they got? We look at the devastation and go, oh, man. But they deserved a whole lot worse. They, they deserved to be to totally annihilated. The wages of sin is death. But God didn't destroy them, totally annihilate them. In the book of Malachi, we, we read, For I am Yahweh, I am the Lord, I change not, therefore you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Because I change not, because I am dependable, because I am faithful to my word, because I am faithful to my covenant, though you are not, you're not consumed. It's the only reason you're not consumed. Right now, if I was a man, and if I acted like you acted, you'd be wiped out. Could you imagine if Jesus was tempted every way such as we are, and yet responded as we do? I mean, if that's what the verse said. You know, we know the verse says that he was tempted in every way such as we are, yet without sin. But let's say it said, and he was tempted in every way such as we are, and he responded like we do. Could you imagine what would have happened when they were nailing him to the cross? It never would have happened because I could not have foughten, foughten. You love my English, don't you? I could not have foughten. I could not have fought against those Romans. You know, they would have been too many of them. But if I was God and I was omnipotent, right? And as Jesus said, don't you know that at this very moment I could call down a legion of angels and they would come? What do you think Bob would have done? Dude, there would have been, I mean, dude, there, 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 would have been an, there would have been a war like you've never seen in your life. I mean, there would have been an angelic host coming down, and the Romans would have wondered what hit them. It would have been like the days of Joshua when the angels were throwing down the hailstones, wiping out the, the five kings that they were fighting against, and it said that more, more, more soldiers died from the hail than it did from the, the Israeli sol, soldiers. Aren't you glad? That God is not fickle like we are. He is faithful. He's trustworthy. He's dependable. And because He is, He is true to His promises, even when we are not. And so Paul says, even when we are faithless, He remains faithful because He cannot deny Himself. God is faithful. Psalm 89, let's turn there. 
This is one of my favorite psalms. It's a long psalm. But this psalm is all about the chesed and the met of God. His amuna and his amen. His the faithful loving kindness of God to the objects of his covenant and his faithfulness in that. And though I want to read the whole psalm, we're just going to read a couple of verses here. It says, verse 33, Nevertheless, my chesed, my loving kindness, I will not utterly take from him, nor allow my faithfulness, my emet, to fail. My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His seed shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever like the moon, even like the faithful witness in the sky. Now, I ask you, I ask you, is there a king in Israel right now? No. Is there someone sitting on the throne of David right now? Yes, but no. Good. Jesus is sitting upon the throne, but he's not in, in, in Israel. And so, therefore, with replacement theology and with covenant theology, they make the church Israel. And they say that God has, has foregone his covenants with Israel and he has made them into the church. Now, i got a problem with that. Because if God transferred, if God changed, if God altered his covenant that he made with David and the covenant that he made with Israel, and you can read that in Jeremiah 31, if God altered it at all, then he what? He lied. Because he said, I will not lie to David, I will not alter the thing that's gone out of my mouth. So what do I, looking at the current state of affairs in the world, believe? That one day in the future, as God has declared will happen, even in the book of Revelation, that there will arise one, Jesus returning, to reign on the earth, on the throne of David, for a thousand years. And that God is true to his word. That when God spoke it, he meant it, it was true and he is powerful enough. Remember, we talked about his omnipotence. We talked about his omniscience. We've talked that he's limitless, right? He's sovereign over all the affairs of men. And so he doesn't have to look to us to find out if we think it's okay, and we'll give him permission for it to occur. The fact is, it will occur. Why? Because he said it. He's God, and he said it, and so therefore it will be. This has huge implications for you and me. If God is not faithful to his covenants that he made with Israel and with David, how do you know he's going to be faithful to the covenant he made with you? How do you know you're not going to get to the judgment seat? He said, oh, uh, oh, by the way, I guess you didn't get the, uh, <clears throat> the new user manual, the, the user and user license agreement, you know, that th- little thing that you've got to click on saying you, you accept. How many of you read, really read every single word of, of all those end user license agreements that you get? You know, every time you download something or whatever and you've got to read this whole... Uh, user agreement, and, and there's a little button that says, I accept, I decline. And you say, what? I don't want to go through all that. I just want the software. And so you what? You, you click, I accept. 
and really in the hidden, the, that the hidden, not really wasn't even hidden. It was just now. There's no such thing as a fine print. It's just part of that. You just chose not to read it. It said that we have every right to take all the data off your computer any time we want to. And when you when you realize that it's 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 uploading all the data, all your personal data, you get really upset at it and you say, "Why did you do that?" Because you said we could. Well, when did I tell you that we could? Because you said I accept. Now, I understand that's a little off subject, but you get it, right? Okay, you, you said that. I mean, God doesn't change. You know, he doesn't send down version 3.11 and have you, have you sign it again. Yeah, the updated about, no, updated grace, dude. Updated salvation. I mean, it's even worse than that. I mean, yes, back in the days of Jesus, I declared that, you know, all you had to do was believe, had a faith of a child. However, with, with the supply and demand happening, we, we feel like we can, we can change the criteria here and so now with our new and, and, and updated version, you have to go to church three times, at least through your life. Well, I can deal with that. Okay, we're good. And so you sign off on, on the new and improved version of salvation. It's now by God's grace and, and you adding three, three times to the church. It doesn't work that way, does it? God's word is true. Always. In the covenant that he made to you, that if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, that you entered into the covenant, he will remain faithful to. And so Paul declares to the Philippians that he who began a good work in you will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he is faithful. Even when you are not faithful, he is faithful. He will continue to do the work in you. Even when you are not willing for him to do the work. Assuming that you're part of the covenant. Psalm 119, 89 and 90. Turn there with me. Forever, Yahweh, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You establish the earth and it abides. They continue this day according to your ordinances, for all are your servants. For all are your servants. 89 to 91, we should include 91 there um, as part of that. Do you worry at night whether the moon is going to drop into your backyard? I mean, face it, if it dropped into your backyard, it's probably going to hit your house. Do you wake up this morning and run outside to check to see if the sun was still shining? You did, Hunter? That, that's awesome. Well, at least you're honest. Lark, we need to talk later. <laughs> if there's a cloudless night, have you looked up? And been amazed by the stars? Did you worry about while you were checking out that star that it was going to come crashing down on you? Why? Because you have taken it for granted that God is faithful. God is, God is the one who placed them there. And that's what he's saying. That the, the, the heavens are where they're at and they endure because of the faithfulness of God. You are breathing right now. You have the proper amount of oxygen in the air because God is faithful to you. 
God is not sitting there saying, oh, you know what, let's see what happens when we uh, throw a little extra uh, carbon dioxide into that room. Could he do that? He could do that. But God is faithful. It's man who is unfaithful. And as we studied the book of Revelation last year, and we looked at those seal judgments and those trumpet judgments, what did we discover? (laughs) It's not God judging the man. It's not what God is going to do to man. It's what man is going to be doing to himself. First Corinthians one verses four through nine. Turn there. Paul states to the Corinthians, "I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by Him, in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ." who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because God is faithful by whom you are called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God is faithful. God is faithful. God is the one who enriches you. God is the one who empowers you. God is the one who gifts you. And God is the one who will see you all the way to the end to the moment of salvation. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved, blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who will also do it. And finally, James 1, 17. We talked about this earlier. Every good and perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There is not a God of the Old Testament and a God of the New Testament and a God of today. It is the same God. And He is the same today as He was in the days of Joshua, as He was in the days of Hezekiah, as He was in the days of Paul, as he was in the days of the, of the, the, the Michael Sattlers, the, the Martin Luthers, the Auric Zwingleys, the John Calvins, the John Wesleys, the George Whitcliffe, Whit, uh, Whitfields, the D.L. Moody's, the Billy Grahams, the Bob Corbins. He hasn't changed. And he never will. So if you're waiting for version 4.51 to come out, hang it up, because there's never been a 1.1. It's been a 1.0 from the beginning. Does that make sense? He is also faithful then in his relationships. First of all, it's displayed in the discipline of his children. We don't want to talk about this, I'm sure, but... He is faithful, even in disciplining his children, just as you are. And David says in Psalm 119, verse 75, I know, O Lord, that your judgments are right, and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. What? God afflicted him? God afflicted him. God chastised him. God punished him. 
because David was getting full of himself and he, t- and he took his eyes off of God and he put them on a, a woman. And then he killed her husband. And God, in his faithfulness, afflicted David. Now, what's interesting is the context of this, what David has already declared in Psalm 119. In verse 67, he says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Huh. In verse 71, it says, It has been good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. You say, well, how could God in faithfulness afflict somebody? Because he knows what he desires to see in us. David had to be brought back to the truth. Absolute truth. Not relative truth. Not truth according to David, but truth according to God. David says, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But guess what? <laughs> now I get it. Now I keep your word. Now I understand. God is also then faithful in his relationships with us in his protection of his children. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 says, let, not, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord, Yahweh, is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? God is there to protect me. And we talked about that in the love of God from Romans chapter 8. Who can separate me from the love of God? Why? Why can nothing separate you from the love of God? Not because just because of God's love, but because of his faithfulness. Do you get it? Because God is faithful to the promise that he made to you. And he loves you with an everlasting love and with a faithful kind of love. That's that agapao. Remember when we talked about the, the, the concept of chesed then, the chesed of God, which is the faithful loving kindness of God to the objects of his covenant. And we read in, in Proverbs chapter 20, each man will declare his own goodness, but who can truly find a faithful man? Who can really find a man of chesed? A man who really has faithful loving kindness. Who is going to be firm to the end, firm to his convictions to the very end. They're a rare breed. We can all say how good we are. The proof's going to come out in the pudding, but God is the one who is that. He is the one who is faithful. And so I look to God and I I know that God will never leave me nor forsake me. Though I may stumble, though I may leave, though your father or your mother may leave you, God will not. 1 Corinthians 10.13 No temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful in that he will not allow you to be tempted or tried beyond what you're able to bear, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape. And the word there for temptation, again, is the word periosmos, periosmoi, being temptations, trials. And what that means is it's a troublesome situation. We sometimes read that in James chapter 1 as temptations, and sometimes we read it as the word trials. Count it all... Joy, brethren, when you fall into divers' trials, right? But then later on, a couple of verses later in James chapter 1, it says, that No man say when he's led away of his own temptations, right? That, and it's the word periosmos again. This is a troublesome situation. This is a, a period of trial, period of trouble that you go into. It can either be a period of temptation or a period of trial. It all depends on how you respond to it. So it's like a flip side of a coin, heads and tails. If you respond to it properly, it was a trial. If you respond to it improperly, it was a temptation. And so God is not going to allow a periosmos, he's not going to allow a troublesome situation into your life that he knows, not just he thinks, 
Remember, God is faithful that he knows that you can bear up with it. You don't have to stumble. I don't have to stumble. I stumble because I choose to. I am led away of my own lusts. And so, I may be arrested for my faith. I may be thrown in jail. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's okay. It's how I respond to the troublesome situation. Do you get it? So the troublesome situation may be I'm out of work. It may be I have no money. It may be somebody ran through a stop sign and it hit me. It may be that I declared Jesus and I got arrested and thrown in jail. Those are all troublesome situations. Not necessarily in and of themselves a matter of sin. Does that make sense? It's how I respond to that troublesome situation. How do I deal with that situation that will reveal either Christ in me or sin in me? And so God says, I won't allow any of those troublesome situations into your life that I know you can handle, that you can't handle. Does that make sense? So you can be sure of this. If you're going through something right now, God knows that you can do it. Or it may be that he's afflicting you like David because you need to be brought back to the word. You need to be brought back to the truth. You need to be brought back to the standard. I don't know which one it is. You do. But either way, God says what? You can go through it. And so if it's the spanking side and you need to be brought back, you can go through it and you can be brought back. And you can be rejoicing like David. If it's a matter of revealing then faith in you, you can walk through it. God is what? Faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. Second Thessalonians 3.3 But the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. He will protect you all the way to the end. Finally, for today, is, remember this is part one, so the rest of that outline, you're sweating it, I know. <laughs> you're looking at the outline saying, Woo! The rest of that's for next week, or the next two weeks, or three weeks, or however long it takes. Okay? Is displayed in his forgiveness of his children. That God will forgive his children. Turn them all the way back to the book of Leviticus. Leviticus 26. Now, I find this is very interesting, as I was studying and meditating upon this, that this is in the book of Leviticus. What do you know about the book of Leviticus? It's the law. The law. The law. And the law has no forgiveness within it. Right? It's all about sacrifices and offerings, really. That's not what God says. In Leviticus 26, beginning at verse 40, God's talking about all these things that, that, that Israel could do. And he says, But if they confess their iniquity in the iniquity of their fathers with their unfaithfulness, with their unfaithfulness, their unreliableness, their undependableness, their non-integrity, right? With their unfaithfulness, in which they were unfaithful to me, and that they also have walked contrary to me, and that I also have walked contrary to them, and have brought them into the land of their enemies, if their uncircumcised hearts are humbled, and they accept their guilt, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob, and my covenant with Isaac, and my covenant with Abraham, I will remember. I will remember the land. The land also shall be left empty by them, and I will and will enjoy its Sabbath while it lies desolate without them. 
They will accept their guilt because they despise my judgments, because they're so abhorred my statutes. Yet for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them away, nor shall I abhor them to utterly destroy them and break my covenant with them. Why? For I am the Lord their God. God says, listen, here's, my, here's what I really desire. You want to know what I really desire? I desire for them to what? To repent. To see what's going on. If they would just acknowledge, if they would understand that they're in sin, that they've been unfaithful to me, if they would acknowledge that, if they would confess that before me, if they would confess what their fathers had done, and they were willing to accept their own guilt, I could restore them back. But even if they don't do that, and they've got to go through all the pain that's happening there, even in the midst of all that, I will not utterly forsake them. Even though I will allow them to be handed over to their own lasciviousness, I will not utterly forsake them because of my covenant that I made. And even when they are unfaithful, I will be faithful. Do you see it? Do you get it? And so, I I don't know if you see this, but here I see 1 John 1, 8-10. They've sinned. And all they have to do is confess their sin, and he's going to be what? Faithful and just. And so in 1 John 1, 8-10 we read, If you say you have no sin, you deceive yourself, and the truth is not in you. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you say you have not sinned, you make God a liar. And his word is not in you. Now what do we already declare by God? He's not a liar. And so if you say you have no sin, you make God a liar, which means what? You're a liar. (laughs) How many Trekkies do we have here? Old Trekkies. Old, I mean, I'm not talking about these new Trek things. I'm talking about the old real ones, right? Okay. The, the 60s, yeah, the 60s and 70s when I was a, when I was a kid. Anyways, um, I saw the reruns, man. I'm too young to, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, anyways, I saw the originals. All right, and so how many of you remember the one with, with hardcore Fenton Mud? They had, they had abandoned him, and all his wives. They abandoned him to, to banished him to this, this, um, um, planet and we don't know how he did it but he was able to make all these things and he, and so he has all these androids and they're all these women you know these servants and everything and and women and everything well anyways th- these androids start to take over the planet and so they've got to find a way to to destroy them and so everything is logic based and so they <clears throat> they have mud go up to the to the the chief of these androids and he says mud never lies and he says mud never lies mud never lies and that he said, I'm lying right now. And Mud never lies. Mud's lying right now. But Mud never lies, so therefore he's lying right now. But Mud never lies. And, you know, and it has this thing. And the whole computer goes, you know. Anyways, and so it was a lot of fun. So, you know, that, that, that mindset I have, I always, I've always remembered that one. It was, always, it was a real kicker. I loved it. Anyways, but think about it. Even a computer understands it's illogical, right? God does not lie. And so if you say you have no sin, you're saying to God, he's what? A liar. But you yourself know that he's what? 
not a liar. So who must be the liar? Me. Did you get it? But God is faithful in that he will forgive you. But note what he says to the children of Israel if they accept their guilt. And he says to them, at the, if you're still there in 26, he said that the, the land is still going to go through. The, the land is still going to observe the Sabbaths. Did you see it? There's still going to be a consequence to the sin. Though they have acknowledged it, though they have confessed it, and he has forgiven them, there's still going to be a natural consequence that's going to come because the land is still going to get the rest. You can't turn around to God after, after doing all this stuff and say, oh, God, forgive me. And God says, okay, fine. Now here I'm going to, throw out the, the, I'm going to open up the storehouses to you. Sometimes God says, I forgive you, and you are restored to fellowship with me, but there are still some consequences that you're going to go through. If you were promiscuous before you got married, and you got AIDS, and you asked God to forgive you, and you got saved, it doesn't mean that God's going to do what? Take away the AIDS. If you were foolish, and you were blinded, and, 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 and because you drank too much and you, and you did something stupid, and when you got saved, it's not going to be that you're going to restore your sight. There's a consequence. Do you, do you understand that? There's a consequence. But, but God still will what? Forgive. He receives you back. You're still his child. God is faithful in his words and in his relationships. Are you taking it for granted? Are you treating him presumptuously in his faithfulness? Because he's faithful... And he's not treating you like you would treat you. Are you taking it for granted? God will not break nor alter the promises that he makes. This should be a source of great encouragement. Or, depending on which side of that you're on, it could be a source of great distress. Because God says that he will judge your sin. And if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, then hell is waiting. The lake of fire Eternal torment is there. Not because I want that. Because God declared it to be so. And God is not a liar. He's not a man that he should lie. And so Jesus himself said, the worm will not die, the fire will not be quenched. Behold, today is the day of salvation. Your eternal life is based upon the faithfulness of God. Where will you spend all of eternity? Because you will spend it there. Because as you can take these other promises of God to the bank, so you can take that one to the bank as well. God will not change his mind. You're not going to come up to, to the throne and just because you've decided to live for yourself, God's going to come out with version 2.1 so that you can get enter in. God said before the foundations of the world were laid, Christ Jesus died for us. His faithfulness has always been 1.0. It's always been the same. Yesterday, as it is today, as it will be forever. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are faithful, that you are true, that you are reliable, that you are dependable, that you change not, that there is not a shadow, just a shadow of turning in you. But as I can look to the sun and I can look to the moon and know that they will be there day in and day out, I know that your word is the same.
you are the friend who sticks closer than a brother. Lord, I pray that you would help us to magnify and glorify you because of your faithfulness to us. And that we would desire to emulate that in our lives. That we would desire to be men and women of our word. And that we would speak truth. And that we would be reliable for your glory. Lord, if there happens to be anyone today here who isn't your child, who hasn't ever entered into that covenant, Lord, I pray that you would draw them to yourself. Help them to respond to the, the message of your Holy Spirit in their lives. For we know that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.